Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Not So Rare podcast. We have Taylor Lewis and I am Liz Bovey. And if you may have noticed, we've had um, a little bit of hiatus between some of our episodes. Um, Both Taylor and I have had some time where we haven't been feeling that great. We needed to take some time for ourselves. But we, so we think we're going to go more into an every other week situation as opposed to the every week that we were doing just to be a little bit easier on our bodies and ourselves. And that really has led me thinking, Taylor, about how we as patients that want to be advocates and how we want to help our community, how we're able to do that and be impactful with the limited energy that we each have. And I don't know if that's something that's come across your mind lately, but it's something I've been thinking about as we've had to take some of our breaks is like, how am I able to focus on what I want to do for our community, but also take care of myself? Yeah. And I think too, even that brings to us like narrowing down topics for today's podcast is like finding like where we want to put our energy because I'm sure like those with rare disease understand that there's like so many people, right? Like there's so many different areas to explore, so many different things and topics that we can talk about. And I think for us, um, it's difficult because of course we want to like focus on everything, but I think realistically in order to like create some change and to dive deep into things, we have to narrow down to topics that affect us and impact us because that's what's been our experience. And I think that's what's nice too about like bringing guests on is that like they can share like their perspective of things because, um, you know, primarily we are two young women who, um, you know, have dealt with very similar things together with our disease. And, you know, our focus has very much been like the fertility, family planning, like life changes, adjustments, relationships, like that kind of stuff. And I I think that's where my passion lies in this is that like, that's what I felt like I needed as a teenager is like somebody to guide me through that difficult adjustment of things where, um, you know, of course, you can seek out mental health treatment and get a therapist. But I think there's part of it where just being able to like relate to somebody who, you know, um, dating is like the whole thing that we've gone over before. I just think there's so many areas that we have found important to us. And I think that that's what works for us. I think something that I've been struggling through over the last few weeks is either I've been sick or Taylor's been sick, but it's really like are we putting our time where it has the best effect um, and not to get too businessy, but like what has the best return on investment? Um, Cause I think when you join the rare disease community and you look at all the different organizations and all the different even ways to be advocates or supporters of our fellow disease individuals, it's overwhelming the amount of different areas that could use help. Um, just kind of thinking through, there's always patient advocacy groups that needs help. The doctors and researchers need help. There's groups that are strictly focused on fundraising. There's some that are connected with government and advocating um, with local senators and congressmen, and then even working with different or- government organizations. There, there's a lot that's out there. And top it off, there's always the option to start your own organization. So I think that 
what I'm starting to realize is I really, I want to find what I'm passionate about. I want to find what's, what brings me joy, but also adds good. And I think that that's why I'm starting to look at like the things that I'm involved in to see what makes the most sense for me, given the fact that I, yes, I am a patient first. I think too, there's a component where um, you're allowed to be selfish in your advocacy work because you spend so time like fighting so much time fighting for a diagnosis, fighting for somebody to, um, you know, take you seriously and get to the point where you get this diagnosis. And then it's like, well, what do you do with that? And I think there's part of it where there's nothing wrong with being selfish if it means that you're progressing in an area that's needed. There's so many areas in rare disease that that need help, even within our own disease, um, you know, umbrella. It's like anybody can do anything to help out the community and to, um, you know, I think it can even start small too, like it did for us. It took probably six months till we started our podcast together until like we realized this is what we feel like is needed. This is what our community needs. So I think like if you have an idea about how to help your community or get involved in whatever way that is, I think it's like go for it because it's needed. And if it means something to you and it keeps you going, I think that's really special. There's been so many times when I've been sick, but I've been like, this has been like the place where I feel like sometimes it's hard to get on the podcast because we know it's going to be emotional. But once we get into the groove of things, it's like really calming and just a nice way to connect with each other, even though we talk to each other like all day long. <laughs> this is a little bit different. I also think that when it starts to feel like work and it starts to be pulling your energy as opposed to bringing you energy, that's where you need to start to think, is this really what I need to be doing? And we, especially towards the beginning of this podcast, before Taylor and I talked on it multiple times a day on a daily basis, um, we would often feel like something missing from our lives if we didn't try to record something. And that to me meant that, yes, we were providing something to our community, but it was also fulfilling needs that we had for ourselves as well. But I think when I look at some of the um, volunteer work I've been asked to participate in or I've been voluntold to participate in, and I look at it and it starts to bring anxiety, it starts to bring make me feel exhausted thinking about it. That's not something I can give when I'm trying to live with my disease, when I'm trying to live the best of life I can, and also still trying to have a career so I can support myself. Um, I I think that it it's hard to do all of that and do all of this as well. Um, so for me, when I'm looking for ways to help, I look for ways that bring me fulfillment as well as having an impact. And I don't think that it's selfish to say, because if you think about it from a patient's perspective, there's only so much energy and effort you can give before it starts to hurt you and your disease. And I think that that's why I try to find things that bring me fulfillment and joy. I think too, it teaches, at least it's taught me the last couple of years and volunteer advocacy work is like, 
it is okay to say no to things. Like, I feel like there's this guilt that we have of like, we have to do everything we possibly can for the community. But I feel like if we're trying to sustain change, there comes burnout, right? Like, it's so natural to like, want to say yes to everything. Maybe that's like me as a person, like trying to take on more and more and more. But I think like, learning to say no is very much to like balancing that part of our lives where like we have to put health first and then we have like other things in our life. But I think like I'm really proud that like I've developed that ability to like be more assertive and say no to, um, you know, different situations. Obviously we say yes to a lot, but, (laughs) but when it comes to like, we can't do it all. And that that's where I'm getting at. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why doing this podcast has been able to bring us joy is that we didn't have to set up a company. We didn't have to set up an organization. We didn't have to really set really any boundaries around that. Um, Taylor and I were not fighting to be the most popular person in the rare disease community. Um, in fact, we're surprised every day we hear that someone's actually listened to our podcast um, or that's mentioned our podcast to other people. So I I think it's more like this truly is being done for our community, but it's also being done for us. I, it's almost like a, I know this is going to date me, but like going back to like junior high phases of like MySpace and having like online journals, it's, I feel like this has kind of grown from like a blog into some sort of like beautiful way that we've been able to figure out how to grow ourselves and put it out there. Yeah. And being open in general is something that Liz and I have battled with when it comes to our rare disease. It was funny, like a while ago, I was talking to my therapist about the podcast and she's like, (laughs) she was like, do you really tell them how it is? Like, do you really open up? And I'm like, I do. And, and that's unlike me. I'm working on it. Like I've talked about before, like it's really difficult for me to talk about my rare disease, like in day to day, I've improved significantly, but I contribute a lot of that to the podcast because, um, you know, she's like, how is it for you to share so much of your life on the podcast versus like in person? And I said, well, it's different. Cause like I'm just talking to a friend and that's what it feels like when like Liz and I are talking and sometimes I forget too that like we're talking (laughs) to a whole following of people that listen to us which I love that and um, I'm so glad that you guys have been able to share in my healing journey and like my mental health um, because I truly feel like that's that gives me motivation to record these two is knowing that like people are listening, people are getting something from it um, that I, I didn't before. I think I'm still working on opening up to people. Um, I think it's something that I work with on every week or every time we go on this podcast of how much am I going to be able to open myself I think that it's natural to be guarded, especially as a rare disease patient, because there's always different stigmas out there. There's different ways that people might judge you. And I, I from my perspective, it's hard to be vulnerable. So I, I'm trying. I'm trying a lot. And maybe that's one benefit that this podcast is giving me is a place to be able to be vulnerable in a safe space within my peers. 
I think too, talking about vulnerability and it even kind of relates to like volunteer work is like when I'm at a doctor's appointment, I'm very like, I just like take the information in and I don't process it. And I kind of wonder if the same is true for other people because we get into the routine of like, we go to the doctors and I, I don't mean to sound negative with this, but it's like, sometimes like I expect the worst and go from there because I don't want to like get my hopes up that things are like sunshine and rainbows. So when I'm there, I just like take in the information and then like, I've talked to Liz, like it'll hit me like two days later where I'm like, oh, oh shoot. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say the word cause this is a family friendly podcast, but oh goodness. Um, this is some serious stuff. Right. And I'm like, why is there that delay? And I think a big part of it has to do with too, that like I bring family members to my appointments to help drive me or, um, you know, I've grown so close to my doctor that sometimes I feel too, like, trust me, I've cried many a times in front of her. Sometimes like I view her kind of motherly where, (laughs) where sometimes I see her, she just makes eye contact with me and I start crying, which I'm like, I don't do this on a daily basis, but something about like her, she could just like look at me and knows like what's going on and will like call me out on it. Um, And so like, that's also kind of forced me to be vulnerable with her, which has then helped my care as well. And I think that that's part of managing care is being open with your providers. And I truly think that like, until I got involved with community and learned what helps me, that that's made a big difference. I mean, I'm glad I'm not the only one who has full on cry sessions at the doctor's office. I feel like I cry more at my rare disease doctor's office than I do in my therapy appointments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got tears all around. I'm a fairly like, well, I am an emotional person. I'm not going to say fairly. Like I straight up, yeah. (laughs) I'm a crier. Like any sad tearjerker movie, like the movie that gets me is I Am Sam. Have you ever seen that, Liz? No. Okay. I think we talked about this last time you were here and I don't know. We probably won't watch it because I know we're going to cry to it. But that movie, if anybody needs like a good cry, like I don't know if anybody does need a good cry. I don't know if that's what people seek out. But for me, like there's a beautiful movie. But anyways, yeah, I'm just naturally emotional. (laughs) So a little known fact about me, I'm someone who I think has seen a lot of movies, but I've never seen the movies that people have wanted me to see. So anytime anyone asks, have you seen this movie? My answer is consistently, no, I have no idea what that movie is. So I am sorry I have not joined in on that. But I think that when we're together again, which is going to happen in a few weeks, we need to not have cry sessions. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) They're going to come regardless, I'm sure. Yeah, naturally. You know, what's funny is like Liz and I will function the whole day when we're together And then we'll like be like, you want to sit on the couch and like watch some TV or watch a movie? And then we'll get into these like deep, deep conversations at like 10 o'clock at night where it's like, this isn't healthy before sleep. But then it all vomits out and our dogs are looking at us like, oh boy, when's their next therapy appointment? (laughs) And it's interesting because as much as I've said that I'm not... I 
I don't open up easily. I feel like that's kind of been our friendship from the very beginning. The first time I drove, I flew out to Indiana and um, Taylor met up, met with a stranger at the airport who had no, she had no idea who I was. I'm pretty sure like the first or second night we had a cry session at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't think it was the glass of wine we had either. I think like we just were... Yeah, it was funny because when I was on my way to pick up Liz, I called my mom and I was like, is this weird? I was like, I don't meet people like this. And I was like, I've, I feel like I know Liz, but like we've never met in person yet. And it was so exciting when we finally did. But it was funny because there was like a split second where I was like, is this weird? <laughs> okay, so now that we've gone on our tangent and um, we're both smiling and not crying. Um, I think that what I what I, I appreciate getting out of this discussion is that it is okay to say no to things. It's okay to pick and choose where you help support. You're not helping anyone if you're giving too much of yourself. If you give too much of yourself, you're probably not giving it in areas that are benefiting the community and you. So my ask for our listeners who are looking to get involved in the community and looking to get involved and not just their rare disease, but across different rare diseases and looking at advocacy is find find the small steps that impact you and help make a big difference. Um, not saying that we make a big difference, but we try to. Um, but it things that don't drain you, um, but help energize you as you look at volunteering. Something oddly enough, and like, I wouldn't say that I could do this right away. So like for people listening, don't feel pressured with this, but something really small and free that I started doing was when people ask me, you know, they hear from a family member or whatever that I have a rare disease. I've stopped downplaying it so much. And I've start I've started educating like my friends and family about what it is, what it exactly is like the biology behind it. Right. So instead of just like being like, Oh yeah, it's something I deal with, blah, 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 blah. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not fine, but I'm functioning. So I started to just kind of like stop downplaying it, accepting it and like talking to people about it, because I think even little conversations like those bring awareness to the greater rare disease community and something that we can all do if we feel like we get to that point. So I think that that is all I have for today. Taylor, did you have any last words on this? I think the only last words I have for young, younger people, I say that, but I'm like only 28. I'm like, like the teens and the young 20s is like, if you're starting out and you've got this diagnosis, I guess this applies to everyone, really. If you've got this diagnosis and you're getting started in things, Don't be afraid to seek out your community. Don't be afraid to feel judged by others. Don't be afraid to, um, you know, put yourself out there a little bit because like those connections to make make me feel like I have that support to do greater things with, too. I think I'd have a hard time advocating and focusing on and advancing the community without Liz's help. I think it's a hard thing to do on your own when you feel so small in this world of rare disease. But I think like if you can get that support, you can really go anywhere. Um, But that's, (laughs) 
That's about it for today. Chewie's been such a good boy. He's been here. Normally I have to kick him out of the room because he starts whining or crying, but he's been a good boy. So um, that's pretty much it for today, everybody. I hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. It's so good to be back and talking and chatting with Liz. This has been the Not So Rare Podcast.